Welcome back to Doc's Talk Story, where we share the journeys, accomplishments, typical day, and advice of doctors practicing here in Hawaii. We hope that Doc's Talk Story can inspire and help medical students navigate the wide range of specialties the medical field has to offer. My name is Carissa, and I'm going to be your host for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. On today's episode, we have Dr. Greg Sakamoto, a dermatologist who works at his own private practice in Honolulu. Dr. Sakamoto attended medical school here in Hawaii at the John A. Burns School of Medicine and continued his training with an internship at the University of Hawaii Internal Medicine Residency Program. He then went on to complete his residency in dermatology at Harvard Medical School in Boston before returning home. Hi, Dr. Sakamoto, and thank you for taking the time to join us today. So let's just get started with telling us a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are today. Well, I am a public school uh, graduate. I'm from Waialua, um, out in the North Shore. Uh, started my journey after high school thinking I was going to become a, a dentist, um, but somehow I got sidetracked into medicine. Um, I'm a graduate of Jabsom, um, and from there I did my internship here at um, UH before doing my three years in Boston uh, in dermatology. Um, how did you decide to go into dermatology? I tried to find something that would afford me a, a hands, more of a hands-on uh, type of practice, mm-hmm. but also the incorporate some of that cerebral nature of medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think dermatology um, does an excellent job of of just melding those different disciplines of, of medicine into one practice, into one specialty. Um, it's so diverse um, what I do on a day-to-day basis, and uh, I think that's what makes it very enjoyable and, and not mundane. Mm-hmm. You mentioned you like the diverseness of dermatology. Did you consider any other specialties along the way? Yeah, so I've always been a hands-on type of person, and, and I always thought that doing some kind of surgical subspecialty would also interest me. Mm-hmm. At one point, I even considered doing orthopedic surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, I decided on dermatology, and I have no regrets. Yeah. That's good to hear. Um, speaking of dermatology, what is the process of becoming a dermatologist? Well, for all of, all of the students that are interested in dermatology, I will say that Thankfully, I'm no longer applying for dermatology, and, <laughs> and from what I hear, it's a very, very competitive process. It was even competitive when I was applying, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, it's, it, it has become the most competitive specialty. Mm-hmm. I think they say that um, there's only about 500 spots wow. uh, across the nation, and there's at least seven, eight hundred students that are applying. Um, so, you know, you can do the math there. Um, as long as you're a, a student with above average grades and scores mm-hmm. uh, and, and some um, experience in research, mm-hmm. I think the odds are, are very good that you'll match, mm-hmm. but it's still very competitive. Um, speaking of research, what role does it play in the application process? Well, I think a lot of 
programs really um, use research along with other um, metrics to screen and to whittle out the, the deluge of, of students that are applying. Mm. Um, and so I think in order to be a competitive um, applicant, you need some type of research, right. um, either in the form of a um, case series, case, uh, case report, mm -hmm. um, or taking a year off mm -hmm. to do a gap year and doing research, or even before residency, uh, doing a um, research fellowship. Programs are really looking for students that are um, committed to the field of dermatology. Mm -hmm. And you know what better way to show commitment than to take a year off from medical school to do research? Um, so I think research is very critical, mm -hmm. along with other things like board scores mm -hmm. and and um, grades. Right. And, and then does the research have to be in dermatology for the dermatology residencies? Preferably, you want to show, again, mm -hmm. commitment to the field of dermatology. And so, yeah, ideally your research would be in the field of dermatology. Right. That makes sense. Um, and then taking a step back from, like, academics and school, do you think there are certain personality traits that are important to becoming a dermatologist? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think dermatologists are, are, for the most part, known as... as friendly, happy um, doctors. And, you know, I think in order to be an effective, empathetic dermatolo dermatologist, you need to um, be an effective communicator with your patients. Uh, uh, you know, you have to have an open line of communication. You have to be able to effectively communicate ideas, treatment plans, in a way that is un understandable to your patients. Um, you have to be a, a really good communicator. You have to be able to listen. You have to be able to empathize. Um, and you know, the patients are there to see you, so you have to be willing to give them the time mm -hmm. uh, to listen and to help troubleshoot their, their issues. Mm -hmm. So being an effective communicator is very important um, as a dermatologist. Mm -hmm. And it's a good way to... Um, foster good uh, relationship with your patients. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think more and more we hear about practicing medicine. That's very true for all specialties, um, being able to communicate well with your patients. Right. Um, you mentioned that dermatologists are seen as happy people. Um, what are some of the myths and stereotypes about your field that you found to be true or untrue in your experience? Yeah, I mean, you know, when you look at dermatology in general, there's a, there are a lot of people that will um, mock the field of dermatology. They'll tease dermatologists that, you know, we're pimple poppers and we all we do is pop pimples and remove warts. <laughs> but if you really look at the field of dermatology, there's so much more depth than what you see in on TV in mm -hmm. Dr. Pimple Popper. You know, one minute I could be popping a pimple, mm -hmm. The next minute, I could be uh, treating a wart, but after that, I could be treating someone with calciphylaxis in the hospital mm -hmm. um, due to end-stage renal disease. Um, next patient could have cutaneous lupus mm -hmm. and could have underlying systemic lupus erythematosus 
undiagnosed. So um, it, it is a very complex field and specialty of medicine that requires a really deep understanding of not only what goes on on the skin, mm -hmm. but also what goes on beneath the skin. Right. So it requires a, a really solid fund of knowledge of internal medicine. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, that's definitely not what's portrayed in media, but I think absolutely. Yeah, you do get to see so much and need to understand so much of medicine. Yes. Um, you mentioned a little bit about the types of things you might see. What is your typical like day in the life? Yeah, and I think that's the best part of my practice is, you know, I just never know what's going to walk through the doors. So my day is never predictable. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you get the run of the mill um, acne and psoriasis and eczema um, patients, ward patients. Um, and then you get a lot of infectious disease. I get a lot of uh, skin infections, nail infections, hair infections, eye infections. Um, and then the next patient could be someone with stage four melanoma walking through your door, uh, undiagnosed, um, or mycosis fungoides. Um, I, um, I see a lot of, again, complex um, medical problems in my, in my practice. Mm -hmm. um, I don't focus too much on uh, cosmetics. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of practices out there that um, do 50-50. They'll mm -hmm. do half of their practice cosmetics, mm -hmm. half of their practice as medical dermatology. I, I don't do too much in the way of cosmetics. I enjoy the medical aspect mm -hmm. of dermatology. And so a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the patients that I see, I'm seeing in follow-up, um, after seeing them in the hospital um, for you know, a variety of uh, issues, um, drug reactions, cancers, psoriasis. Um, again, the most recent case I saw was a woman who had calciphylaxis. So yeah, my day is very unpredictable, <laughs> very unpredictable. And that's just the way I like it because right. um, it really does eliminate the monotony mm -hmm. of day-to-day -day medicine if you really don't know what's right. what you're going to see and what you're going to be presented mm -hmm. with. Wow, that's a lot of different things you can see. Um, of all the things you listed, is there one that pops up the most commonly or most um, frequently within your practice? Yeah, I would say like any other dermatologist, the number one diagnosis, the number one, the number one problem that we treat would be acne. Mm -hmm. um, I do a lot of skin cancer treatments as well. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll see maybe 20 patients a day, 15, 20 patients a day that come in for skin cancer screenings. And mm -hmm. of that um, 15 or 20 patients, I would say half of them would have significant findings, either um, pre-cancers or skin cancers or multiple skin cancers. So that keeps us busy doing skin cancer screenings, especially in a place like Hawaii where it's sunny year-round mm -hmm. and people love that outdoor life and uh, recreational activities outdoor. Did you find that there's more incidence of skin cancer here compared to like when you were practicing on the mainland? 
Or is it about the I, same? <laughs> I think for... It's interesting because mm-hmm. when I was in Boston, mm-hmm. I would see a lot of skin cancers in Boston. And I often wondered why, because right. winter, winters are so long. Um, but if you look at the you know, the ethnic uh, makeup of, of a place like Boston, where there's a lot of Irish people there, mm-hmm. what happens is during the winter time, these people are, are um, confined in their homes mm-hmm. and they don't go out and they don't get to go to the beach and they don't get to go to the baseball park. And so they're so, they're so hot up to be out in the sun that that first window of opportunity that they have, they will go out, whether it's to the park, Mm -hmm. whether it's at the beach or whether it's on their roof and they will just lay out in the sun and they will bake and bake and bake until they're fried. And so we've learned that it's, it's not only continuous um, incidental sun exposure that mm-hmm. causes skin cancers, but intermittent intense uh, exposure that can also cause it. So I did see a, a lot of skin cancers in Boston, but I will say overall Hawaii because of the year-round um, sun and uh, the UV index here, they would probably see more. Mm. Yeah, that's very interesting. I didn't think about why people would have more skin cancer, I guess, on the mainland. Um, and then what is your typical like patient population if you have one? It's very diverse, diverse. very diverse. Uh, I see anywhere from newborns to 100-year-old patients. I see um, skin cancer screenings. I see people from uh, Pacific Islands with... Um, Hansen's disease, um, and everything in between. Mm-hmm. So it's a di- very diverse population. I'm not a pediatric dermatologist, mm-hmm. uh, but just you know, I I, I see all um, all ages. Thanks. And then, what do you think is the best and worst part of your job as a dermatologist? I think the best part of my job is probably healing patients. You know, the the dermatology is a very interesting field because you can take a patient who is very sick, has, um, you know, multiple medical problems and um, very bad uncontrolled diabetes and they might not care too much about it or they might not manage it as effectively but once something occurs on their skin Mm -hmm. and it's either causing them discomfort or embarrassment it becomes a huge issue for them and it becomes a big source of concern and so being able to help people um, feel better in their skin look better in their skin, feel more confident, um, feel less embarrassed about going out in public because they have psoriasis all over their scalp and ears and, and arms. Um, and you know, every time they go out, they feel stigmatized. Mm-hmm. So being able to help those people, I think, is probably the best thing um, for my practice. Not, and not to mention you know, the skin cancers and 
I suppose, the lives that we theoretically save from catching skin mm-hmm. cancers early and treating them. The worst part of my job, you know, I mean, for us, it's a daily grind. I, we see a lot of patients. I, I see a lot of patients each and every day. And, um, you know, the reality of medicine, especially for you young um, student physicians, is that you just cannot heal everyone. And mm. you can try your best. And when you put your heart and soul into your practice and taking care of patients, uh, when you're unsuccessful at treating uh, a patient, a patient succumbs to their disease, um, or a patient has an adverse um, outcome or event, you feel really bad. Mm-hmm. And um, that to me is the worst thing about medicine, especially if you take you know, a lot of pride in, in taking care of patients mm-hmm. and, and um, you really care about your patients. Other than that, I enjoy everything that I do. Yeah, that's good. Um, moving on to a little bit about your private practice, could you tell us how you started your practice? Well, I always knew that I wanted to go into private practice, mm-hmm. uh, and um, I was fortunate enough that my wife was able to help set up my practice. My wife has a, um, a degree in, in accounting and uh, business management. Mm-hmm. so. For those of you thinking of starting a private practice, it's important to find someone that can help you out, someone that you trust. Mm-hmm. So for me, I was fortunate I didn't have to lift a finger to to really write up my, my, bus- my business proposal and start the business and do all the administrative um, tasks of starting a business. I had my wife help me. Mm-hmm. Um, and to this day, um, I've almost completely divorced myself from the business and and financial aspect Mm -hmm. of practicing medicine. And I think when you do that and when you have someone else you trust running that aspect of your practice, that's when you can really practice clean medicine. When you start to mix financials with with, um, patient care, that's when medicine can become messy. Mm So again, it's good to get someone who can help you start a practice, someone with uh, you know, some background in business and accounting and finances. And um, again, ultimately someone you trust. Right. Yeah, it's not easy running a private practice uh, and all the burden of blame falls upon you as you know, for me, I'm a sole um, practitioner mm-hmm. in a sole private practice and uh, so everything that happens in my clinic, I'm responsible for. Mm-hmm. I guess since you always knew you wanted to be in private practice and it does come with this burden, is there a reason why you chose to do that versus like working in a hospital or in um, a group practice or something? Yeah, for me, for me it was just pure um, autonomy, mm. being able to practice medicine the way I want to practice um, being able to see as many or as little patients as I want to see being able to create my own schedule um, being able to offer things to patients that I wouldn't otherwise be able to offer um, and 
that's one of the beautiful things about running a private practice and me being uh, in charge is I can do basically whatever I want and I practice however I want. And so, you know, I, I have a lot of patients that are financially strapped and, and are going through tough times and are uninsured and um, I can see them. I don't have to collect any money from them. Mm-hmm. I can provide them uh, sample medications mm-hmm. and I don't have to answer to anyone. Right. I don't have to answer to uh, the practice manager or the CEO about why we're not collecting payments from this patient mm-hmm. even though we're offering services. And, and that to me, I, I love the most mm-hmm. about practicing medicine in my own private practice. I get to do what I want and it's whatever I do is all for the betterment of my patient's health. Mm-hmm. Well, I really like that. Um, and you kind of touched on this already, but do you have any advice for medical students who are interested in the business aspect of medicine besides just finding someone else that they can trust? I'll give you my wife's email. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> don't ask me about Got the it. business aspect of medicine because I really don't have any sound advice to give you guys. <laughs> I mean, in all honesty, really, it's about finding a good practice manager yeah. that can really run the practice while you focus on medicine. Again, because when you mix business and medicine, mm-hmm. it becomes messy, becomes sloppy. You start to look at patients as dollar signs mm. and it's just it's not it's not good so i i don't i'm like i said i'm completely divorced from that mm. okay um so it seems like because you have um your own practice and you have autonomy over your own schedule do you ever struggle with work-life balance um do you have time outside of your practice to do other things yeah um it's funny you should ask. Um, and I know one of the questions we we're going to get to is uh, burnout right. as well. Mm-hmm. And so I would say the first 10 years of my career, I was Mr. Yes. Mm. I would say yes to everything and to everyone who asked me to do things. And so at one point, I was working five and a half days a week. I was working at uh, nursing homes. I was doing the Queen Emma Clinic, um, and I did that for about ten years. Um, just donated my time doing that, uh, and then on top of that, doing um, inpatient consults. So my days were hectic, and this went on for about ten years straight until I got to the point where I was just burnt out. Mm-hmm. And when you reach that point. Um, it is it's sort of an unhealthy point that a physician can reach um, where your work and life balance is, is severely disrupted mm-hmm. and because of that um, you know you start feeling depressed um, you don't find the things that you find pleasurable pleasurable anymore and it is really unhealthy mm-hmm. um, and I went through that um, and you know it, it took me a while to realize what was happening but I finally realized that you know it's it's probably because I'm so overworked mm-hmm. which 
almost seems like an oxymoron because people think, well, dermatologists live a very comfortable, very cush life. Mm -hmm. And really, it all depends on um, what kind of practice you build. Mm -hmm. So you can be as busy as you want, or if you want to work 20 hours a week, you can. But for me, I was always um, willing to see patients and always willing to... to um, go and see patients in the hospital or go to, go to Arcadia to go see patients. So it took a lot of time um, and effort. And and uh, was, my days were very long. I would go into the office at like 3 a.m. in the morning wow. and some days wouldn't get home until 8, 9 o'clock at night. And so those are really long days and you're exhausted. Um, and it does take a toll on your family as well, mm -hmm. you know, because you're giving so much of yourself um, at work mm -hmm. that sometimes when you go home um, your family just gets just the, the leftovers and that is very unhealthy mm -hmm. I recognized what was going on and I made um, drastic changes um, the most important change was to really cut down the amount of patients that I was seeing mm -hmm. and um, really try to achieve a better work-life balance mm -hmm. so now on weekends, you'll find me out fishing um, <laughs> almost every weekend. And that, for a lot of doctors, love to golf. Mm -hmm. um, I've never been golfing, but mm -hmm. fishing is my thing. So I'll take the boat out, and I'll go 20, 30 miles out. And, and it's just peaceful to be out there. Mm -hmm. um, no one around except my fishing buddies and just fish. Yeah, that's nice. Um, you mentioned you recognized that you were experiencing burnout and then you started making changes. Do you um, have techniques or advice for students um, who might want to counteract or avoid burnout? Yeah, I think it's really just limiting um, how much you do and how much you say yes to. Um, and I think a lot of, a lot of other doctors are cognizant of that and are maybe better at saying no than I am mm -hmm. um, but yeah know your work limitations mm -hmm. don't let work um, consume or swallow you mm -hmm. um, find once you once you realize that you don't have the time to enjoy the things that you enjoy in life then you gotta take a step back and analyze what's going on maybe make some changes mm. yeah did you struggle with like knowing when to say yes versus no at the when you first adopted this mindset yeah it's still hard for me to say no okay. it's still hard because mm -hmm. i'm one of those i guess it's just in my personality do you want to do things i want to please people mm -hmm. um but it just it cannot come at the expense of your health yeah. and your family's um, health mm -hmm. and emotional well-being and your connection with your family. Yeah, yeah. that's good advice. It is because um, physician burnout is real. Mm -hmm. And um, I think when you look at the changing landscape of, of medicine, you know, you as young physicians, no, no doctor will starve. Okay, that's just not going to happen. But with the cuts and reimbursements, um, physicians are feeling more and more pressure to see more and more patients and to do more and more. And with that, you know, you have a, a much higher volume of patients that you're seeing and 
that can lead to burnout a lot faster. So it's, it's important for for uh, students and, and young physicians to be aware of that, mm-hmm. to be able to recognize signs and symptoms of that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a perfect segue. Um, besides the changes in reimbursement, do you see any other changes in medicines um, over the years that you've been in practice? I have. Um, you know, there's so many changes taking place in medicine from uh, technology, um, pharmacology, um, new advances in medications, um, new uh, requirements from the government on on how to practice, what we need to uh, record, what we need to... Uh, include in our our medical documentation mm-hmm. um, changes in in reimbursements mm-hmm. changes in the way patients view physicians mm-hmm. changes in the way people doubt science and doubt medicine mm-hmm. changes in the way people are adopting um, new ways of dealing with medical conditions, naturopathic ways. Uh, so where do you want to begin? <laughs> I guess specifically, are there um, changes that have affected your practice or the field of dermatology? Yeah, and I think um, the same is for all other disciplines of medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for us, it's always a challenge um, treating patients. I, th- I think the challenge is... is um, getting your patients to, to trust you and to trust in your therapies mm-hmm. uh, when there's so much information and misinformation online about what's best for their health mm-hmm. what their diagnosis is uh, what medicines to, to use and what to avoid uh, and so it's become increasingly challenging uh, for us to effectively treat patients when there is lack of confidence and Mm. mistrust so it takes even more effort to get to get your patients to trust you Um, inherently in medicine already in this day and age there is distrust and i don't you know there there are many reasons why this is the case and that's stemming all the way from the Tuskegee trials mm-hmm. um, to uh, pharmaceutical greed. Um, but for the earnest, honest physician trying to treat patients, it's become um, a little more difficult. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we have miraculous advances in therapeutics, mm-hmm. um, ranging from biologics and in acne, uh, sorry, in, in psoriasis and, and in um, eczema to newer targeted immunotherapies for advanced cancers like melanomas. So we've seen wonderful advances. We've seen life-saving advances. You can take someone who has stage four metastatic melanoma, put them on one of these targeted therapies and put them in remission. Um, and that that to me is quite amazing. 
Yeah, that's really awesome that there's so many new therapeutics that you can offer your patients. Um, do you see any big changes coming in the future, either positive or negative? I think to some degree we need health reform. I mean, when you look at the cost of medicine in the United States, it's, it's exorbitant. Um, if you were to um, observe my office and my practice and my workers, you would see that a large portion of their day is, is spent filling out paperwork, prior authorizations for medications. So um, it, I, th I think the conundrum that we, we, we face, um, or the irony is, as physicians, we're supposed to be, uh, you know, cutting edge, late breaking science, scientists, uh, and we're supposed to keep up with the latest in therapies. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the latest in therapies cost thousands upon thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. The price is exorbitant for, for Humira or for Enbro for psoriasis. So, yeah, we want to do what's best, and we want to give our patients the best. But cost restraints. Um, create a lot of um, paperwork for us uh, and I can understand um, and there needs to be some sort of uh, I guess uh, uh, management in the cost of, of medication someone needs to really uh, help to limit the, the cost of medications otherwise um, you're gonna see skyrocketing uh, insurance insurance premiums because of the cost of medications here in the United States. Mm -hmm. And that will drive up um, medical costs and that will also create a, um, a, yes, a, a dichotomy of patients, you know, those that can't afford and those that can't mm -hmm. afford healthcare. Right. Yeah, that's... An interesting perspective. I guess when we're learning about medicines, we don't really think about having to pay for it or having our patients pay for it. Um, I guess it's hard to choose between cost versus what's most advanced. Right. Um, can you speak a little bit about the need for dermatologists in Hawaii? And in your opinion, what makes practicing here unique? Yeah, I think... Um if you look at the length of time that the average length of time that patients have to wait to be seen, I think there's still a huge need for dermatology. Um, but there's a huge need need for healthcare here in Hawaii in general, and so that's a plug for all of you um, young student physicians to consider staying here in the islands. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I believe there's still a huge need and. Uh, Second question was... What makes practicing in Hawaii unique? Yeah, well, it's, a, it's a, certainly a melting pot, um, and we see all types of um, ethnicities with all types of skin disorders. You know, again, you have patients from the Pacific Islands um, coming in with tropical skin infections. We still see a decent amount of of active um, leprosy oh. um, 
We see all kinds of mycobacterial, um, atypical mycobacterial infections um, from those that enjoy uh, ocean sports. Um, and we see all those skin diseases that uh, occur because of heat and humidity. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, really just the ethnic diversity. But I think that that's true for the for the continental United States. You know, this the United States is now becoming a melting pot right. for uh, you know, a variety of ethnic um, ethnicities. And, and so I think we all have to be aware of certain uh, skin diseases that occur in certain ethnicities. You know, you take, for example, African-Americans. We don't have... A large population of African Americans, but being aware of what is more um, common skin-wise in mm-hmm. African Americans, like sarcoidosis, mm-hmm. will be helpful in you treating them. Yeah, that's good. And um, is there anything that you know now that you wish you knew earlier in your training? Yeah, I think every day um, I'm becoming more and more wiser. So. <laughs> I wish I knew yesterday what I know today. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, and so as a young physician, you know, when you're when you've graduated residency and you're out there practicing, um, you're on this high. Like I can heal the world and I can fix any uh, any problem um, that a patient throws my way. But sometimes you're overly ambitious, and so. Um, having the right level of ambition is, is always good, but also knowing your limitations, uh, uh, I think is important. And, and that's something that you can only learn as you practice, you know, every day is, is a learning process. I don't care what anyone says, you will never know as much as you know that day. You're not gonna, um, know more yesterday than you know today, Mm um, so it's a journey. Right. Every day I'm learning new things. Uh, it also helps that, you know, with the ever-changing landscape of, of medicine mm-hmm. and, um, you know, how technology and, and treatments are changing, it's, it's very important that as a medicine, you st- as a physician, sorry, you stay committed to learning. Um, by learning, I mean, you know, stay, staying uh, up to date with uh, journal articles and mm-hmm. uh, attending conferences mm-hmm. um, because if you don't and you can miss out on on learning a lot mm-hmm. and and it, again it's important for you to stay up to date yeah. how do you incorporate um, like learning and attending conferences into your practice and your life um, seeing that you do see so many patients and you are making time for yourself yeah I, I think it's quite simple you know I mean if you show up to work uh, a half hour earlier than you would normally show up that would give you a lot of time to uh, read through journal articles and so I would say every month I get about 20 journals I don't read every single journal, um, but I try to read the, the key uh, articles in, in these journals mm-hmm. just so that I can stay up to date. I go to my office early in the morning when it's quiet, when there's no distractions, when the phone lines aren't up and running. Mm-hmm. So um, 
I'm able to just read and, and keep up with the literature uh, without being interrupted or distracted. Yes. Awesome. And then our last question is, do you have any last pieces of advice or wisdom to share with a student who is interested in dermatology? Yeah, I'd say, well, you know, going back to the competitive um, nature of dermatology, um, you know, dermatologists, I think, would appeal to people that are um, as someone who's a, a people person who likes to interact with patients. Um, but again, it's a very competitive specialty. And um, again, I think it might be the compet most competitive specialty. So if you're really serious about dermatology, then um, I know that board scores is, is very important. So you're studying hard for your USMLE. Uh, I think last year or the year before, the national uh, or the mean score for uh, dermatology was, I think, 250, 250 for the USMLE Step 1. Um, on top of that, I think more than half of the applicants who matched um, were AOA. Okay. Um, so it's very competitive. Um, and we're at an inherent dis disadvantage here in Hawaii because mm -hmm. we do not have an affiliated uh, dermatology program. Mm -hmm. So it helps for you to have some sort of presence at a program so that the program director and the faculty can get to know you. So again, we're at an inherent disadvantage, but um, I'm happy to say that almost every year there's at least one student from JAPSM that matches mm -hmm. and I think it speaks to how, you know, the education that you guys receive here and just um, maybe even the, the ethics that are instilled upon the students. Mm -hmm. But I think no matter what field of medicine you choose, you have to be in it for the right reasons. And there's a reason why you went into medicine, and that's to help people. Mm -hmm. um, if your sole purpose in practicing medicine is to become rich, then... You may become rich, but um, it's it's not it's unfulfilling in other aspects of of your life, and especially when it comes to patient care. So, to me, it's more important to to fulfill that that part of your practice and taking good care of your patients and going home at night, um, getting a good night's rest, being able to sleep, knowing that you've tried your best in taking care of your patients. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. I really learned a lot and I appreciate your perspective on medicine. Um, even years and years after you graduated, you're still um, always putting the patients first. And I think that we can learn a lot from you. <laughs> oh, thank you. It was fun um, doing this interview and thanks to you guys. And that's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Join us next time on Doc's Talk Story. And until then, we would love to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and input as we continue on this journey together. 